okay, so if I ran for office, would I be less qualified than someone that's a mom? Well, probably for the way like Congress acts these days. But, <laughs> but like, that's a different story. Welcome to Don't Think Twice. Vijay and Stevens is the writing and producing duo of Amrita Vijay and Andrew Stevens. Best friends, business partners, creative partners, and now soon to be co-parents. This week, something a little different. Amrita sits down with author and entrepreneur Ciara Pressler. Ciara also happens to be child-free by choice. We talk feminism, cultural expectations, and the difficulty of alternative community building and making choices that don't fit with the dominant narrative. This one's cathartic. We're doing this run of episodes for the podcast, just sort of t- talking about Andrew and my story, but then also I really wanted like a female perspective centric episode. Um, but I was really drawn to the idea of wanting to talk to somebody who does not have children and like does not does not plan to have children. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone that I asked was really, really reticent, um, even if they felt really convicted about their choice. So, wow. um, so I'm grateful to you f- to for like being willing to even talk about it in the first place. All, all that said, can I ask you to just really briefly say a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so my name is Ciara. I live in Portland, Oregon. I'm 44 years old. Um, I own a business. I'm single and I don't have kids. <laughs> And I guess just to dive like r- really right into the deep end, like, do you feel like that was a decision that you made consciously? Yes. Yes and no. I, I think as soon as I realized you didn't have to, I knew I didn't want to. And that that was the case for both both your being single and, and for children, do you think? No, not at all. I would, I would love to have a life partner, um, but I'm not willing to have just any life partner. I think that I'm not willing to have a life contract with somebody who doesn't want to do life the same way or similar way or in a supportive way as me. And I haven't found that person. Um, but it's also very hard as a straight woman to find men who want to be child-free. Oh, that's interesting. So you find that you find that the people that are in your dating pool are like either eager to be dads or are dads already? Yes. And it's interesting because, you know, I moved from New York City to Portland when I was 35. And that was a very key age for dating because in New York, my peer group tended to settle down and get married in their late 30s to early 40s. So I expected to have this pool of like single guys when I got to Portland. Well, in Portland, people do that much younger. So Mm. when I got to Portland, I'm going on the apps and like all these guys are divorced with kids. And I was like, wait, I skipped a whole stage of life. And so, um, you know, a a lot of people are divorced, which is not a problem to me, um, but already have children. I I definitely I hear that, and uh, I definitely New York has a little bit of an arrested development um, quality to it. I, I want to be really careful what language we use around these things because it's just a different order of doing life, right? Like, do you do you do all the fun things and travel and develop your career and everything in your twenties and thirties, and then have kids, or you know have kids in your early twenties and then travel and develop your career and everything in your 40s and 50s it's just a different way yeah absolutely absolutely no that's that's a great point um yeah no I mean I had I had thinking about relationships and dating and and how that's contributed maybe to 
to that this decision, you know, um, as you said, you know, entering a contract with somebody who you don't feel confident is on the same page. Um, I think a lot about like the compromises that, you know, that women need to make in order to have a partner or to achieve some of these like traditional milestones. I, I just read this morning, this like new Yale study about how, you know, a lot of women are, are you know, freezing their eggs or delaying this decision to have children. But, but um, contrary to what we might think, it's not just about like delaying the, the decision to reproduce, but but the study was showing that actually it's more of a lack of suitable partners, uh, male partners. Yes. And first I must say, I have to see this Yale study because I have been saying this. I have never heard anyone like in the mass media, like the bigger New York Times or Washington Post, make the point that for women in my peer group around my age, the numbers are equal, right? Like for the amount of effort I have put into life. There's just not an even, and I know so many single women my age who have had, like put so much effort into developing their careers and staying healthy and traveling and money and all these things. And there just are very few men that we come across, you know, that put even a significant fraction of that effort into it. Like, what do you think that's about? I, I totally share that as well. That I will tell you, this is my theory. I have not done the study. First of all, I think it's very tied to race also because mm -hmm. I grew up in the 80s where the ideal of uh, a partner was uh, in, in popular culture was a blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, fair woman who certainly didn't have any sort of career ambitions or anything. And so I think that's sort of etched as an ideal in all of our consciousnesses, right? And then when you go into being a person of color, and, you know, certainly in the black community, there's over incarceration and there's, you know, the numbers mm -hmm. are not equal. And and nobody ever talks about that because our culture wants to blame women. Just period. They want to blame women. Yeah. And, and you know, of course, there's all these there's all this data. What what uh, disparate numbers there are of women um, pursuing higher education versus men. And but even even if women are are asked to or willing to consider, you know, dating across those educational boundaries or social class boundaries. Um, e even with that, even with that uh, said, like, I think there's still a mismatch um, that I'm observing quite a lot, like in my, in my peer group. And I don't mean this in a pointed way, but I, I even looking around at, at the people that I know who are partnered, there are, there are very few examples, like equitable <laughs> um heterosexual right. partnerships absolutely and and you know i'm not saying that that my <laughs> group of male friends was necessarily indicative of everyone this is very anecdotal but um you know the majority of my male peers in my 30s were looking for dating or ended up partnering with women who were not their equals Mm -hmm. And in, in the sense of being um, less ambitious, much younger, um, different things like that. It's just a different standard. And, you know, I always say we grew up being told like, go girl, you can do anything. But the men didn't grow up being taught how to relate to women who could do anything. That really says it all. I absolutely agree with you that I think it's it's much more, it's much more a factor of unequal partnership than then I think the mass media has caught up to for yeah. sure. 
Um, not all, not all men. I get it. Like I have some male friends that are super spectacular and I look at my friend husbands for the friends that are married and I have about half and half friends who are married and single and, and, um, you know, there are some fantastic guys out there for sure, but it's not the majority. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like, have you ever explored wanting to have children with a, with a, um, with a romantic partner or thought that you might want to like, was there ever a moment where you thought, yeah, I do want to go that route or, or not at all? Yes. Um, you know, I, I dated someone when I was about, you know, my late twenties who very much had his life path, like decided. And that was attractive to me because I was in a period of transition. And so, um, you know, his, his, his path seemed very attractive because I didn't have one. So it was really more a function of like self-esteem than it was like me wanting kids. So there was that brief moment. And then the other moment was when I was thinking, you know, a couple of years later, like, oh, I need to have kids or I won't have anyone to take care of me when I'm older. I'll be alone. But uh, then one of my older, wiser gay male friends said, yeah, but there's no guarantee they'll want to take care of you when you're older. And so that just took care of that. And I never <laughs> wanted kids again. <laughs> well, Save the thing money that, and hire someone. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly what I used to say to my mom, too, was when she would make that argument and said, well, I'll take all the money I saved on not having a kid and hire a hot nurse. <laughs> so did you not always want children? I don't know your story. This is a, a change change of gears for me. Um, but I think it speaks really very much to what what you've said about kind of the 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 context for for child rearing, which is that, um, and I think especially for heterosexual couples, that's such an unexamined relationship. Definitely. I mean, if I had to pick one single biggest reason, you know, which is even to say I need to have a reason, I think people more need yeah. to have a reason to have kids than to yeah. not have them. But, um, you know, it would be certainly feminism, you know, it's yet yeah, so unexamined the roles and the expect the cultural expectations for mothers versus fathers are still so far behind. I don't want any part of it. And, you know, so many of my friends, they, they get married, they have kids, they change their mind. They didn't want kids, but once they get married, they just decide to have one. And then they are you know, really struggling with the roles in the household. And I always think, didn't you guys talk about this before you got married? It <laughs> seems like such a big part of the negotiation of marriage, but I guess not everyone. Um, or you think you have talked you know, it through, you know, and, um, yeah. and there's like, there's just a lot, you default, I think, to, to um, certain gender roles and things like that. So I'll say that like, you know, even in, among my friends who are married and um, who consider themselves to have really equitable partnerships and are really committed to that, um, even if that's explicitly a part of their relationship, it's absolute. I mean, it's undeniable that there is still a major imbalance. And I want to be very careful to distinguish cultural things from personal decisions. Oh, absolutely. And it's yeah, it's living in a culture where it's still very uneven, knowing that yes, of course, there are certain families that may have a more even distribution or may talk about, but it's not the norm. And even if I had a, you know, fantasy perfectly equitable household, I still would have to exist within a society where, you know, people think 
my husband is babysitting when he's doing childcare or where, you know, I'm expected to have custody should we divorce or anything like that. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Um, One more question I have sort of on the dating realm before we move on from this is um, you were mentioning that you're finding even now in your dating pool, it's like difficult to find men who don't want to have kids. And I wonder if you can just speak to that, that a little, just a little bit more. Um, so you, do you find that still the case for you? And is that like, does that limit the dating pool for you in, in certain ways? It's so hard to find people to date who meet just like the basic criteria yeah. for spending time <laughs> with. And I'm not talking about like, oh, he has to have own a yacht or anything like that I'm talking about is not racist (laughs) seems not sexist right like doesn't have kids so if you just take out doesn't have kids first of all just most people who are in the dating pool I'm older than you right I'm 44 so most people in the dating pool here in Portland where I live they're going to be divorced with children and here's the first thing is is I'll say I you know I'll try to word it in a you know, more neutral way. Like I am committed to a child-free lifestyle because it's a lifestyle issue. I don't want to go to, you know, sports practice every night. I don't want to make my trips fit around this one week of spring break where everything doubles in price. So, (laughs) you know, but, but it's this whole, like, oh, let me make your decision for you, which is extremely sexist where men will be like, you know, still, try to date or go on a date and be like, oh, but you don't mean my kids or you don't mean my kids who are grown or, you know, and it's like, yes, I mean that. I just said that. Why don't you believe me? I just said what I think. And I think that's sexism. Yeah. And the expectation that, um, you know, that you would you would be you would be like have any sort of step parenting kind of role i think comes part and parcel with with being a woman in the dating pool is that there is some expectation that you would that you would eventually like if you started dating this person that you might eventually like want to go to soccer practice or want to you know want to do these things and um yeah people definitely don't take you at your word i i'm struck by the 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 lifestyle choice thing like and i think that is that's like i i want to return to that like Talk a little bit more about that. Like, what is the lifestyle choice? Like, what do you see as the the lifestyle? It's everything from, I like how clean my house is to, um, I just be the hugest bitch in the PTA being totally <laughs> outraged about schools these days. You know, you know, it's just, it's everything. I only, I'm a pretty high achieving person, but like, I only have so much energy to deal with everything in the world and, and admire and respect people who are good parents. I think it sounds very hard, but you know, one of the best things I ever heard was I had a friend who was a a chaplain in hospitals Mm -hmm. and and talking to the aging and, and the dying. And he, and I said, what is, what is one thing you took away from that? What is one thing you learned? And he said, everybody has this creative impulse, like this impulse to leave a legacy. Um, and I kind of took that as, you know, for a lot of people, they just translate that automatically to children. And I put so much out into the world through what I do, my job and, and other things that I do that I feel very fulfilled in that area. And, you know, 
you know, between like volunteering in the community and being on boards, not that that's required of people to justify their existence for not having children. Um, I, I just think I deserve equal respect as women who have children. A hundred percent. And I, I mean, there's so many ways to leave a legacy. And I think that's a, that's a really important point. There's, there's so many ways to do that. And there's so many creative impulses that can exist that don't have anything to do with, with generate generating life. But, um, you know, I, I think you also touch obliquely on something that's really, that was v- deeply frustrating to me, you know, um, for the period of my life of being child-free and consciously child-free is kind of this idea of having to justify that decision in some way. There's a video that went viral last year and it was this woman who was child-free um, talking about how, you know, it helps her be the best auntie ever. And I just hated it because it was still centering children, right? It's like my justification as a woman is is what I can do to support child rearing. And there's just so many other ways to exist in the world that are perfectly fine. Absolutely. And, and you know, I was, I was talking to an, another friend who has decided not to have kids and you know, she went straight to this, the, the the wanting to reassure me that, well, you know, I really do love kids. And, you know, yeah, again, absolutely. I don't think men have to do that at the same level. But yeah, this idea of like, you, if you don't have kids, you have to, you have to say, well, it's not, it's not because I'm some sort of like, witch who hates children. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I love children. I love everyone's children. And, you know, and honestly, like, that's not even really the case for me. Like, I like, you know, I love my nieces and I love like my friend's kids, but I'm not like in general, a person who like loves children. I don't like default want to hold your baby or like what you know and why do I even yeah. have to defend that <laughs> why can't it just be like people I like some people I don't like other people. right or um you know the other thing we think about is and and I get I get to hear a lot of things that people are really thinking because I'm like the safe person who doesn't mm-hmm. have kids so what about all my friends who are like mm, if I could do it over I wouldn't have kids there's just that's no a space. big taboo and and one that I think there's not a really or a lot of room for, especially for women to say, like, I regret it or, you know, I think the biggest problem culturally right now is that we can't have these conversations. I feel safe having this conversation with you because you're smart and you really put a lot of conscious thought into how you've designed your life. But I would say probably 75 percent of my friends, we couldn't even have like a conversation without it being super personal and, you know, like being able to separate yourself from the cultural thing that's going on. Um, you know, I have to tiptoe around a lot of people in my life and it's exhausting. Yeah. Well, you don't want to offend anyone. You don't offend anybody's choices. And there's like a lot of sensitivity there for sure. I guess like that, that leads me to the, you know, this idea of how being a, like, labeled as a wife or mom, like that's like a really easy place for people to put you. And like, whether it's within your friend group or or from strangers, like, can you speak a little bit to like how you feel people treat you when they can't label you in those ways? It's not so much that it's more that there's like no models. Like I, I, I get frustrated sometimes because I think there's just not a lot of cultural icons for what it means to be a child-free 100%. single woman in your forties, you know, like I'm like, you know, especially women of color. This is um, okay. This is like actually on my list too. Lack of role models for happy single child free people. And like we always go back to Tracy Ellis Ross and then that's it. And like <laughs> Yeah, I think one thing a lot of women who are mothers don't 
realize is that there's like a lot of templates and a lot of handbooks and a lot of, you know, there's, there's pretty much none for, for being child-free and, and also taking care of yourself. Um, even just, you know, I have a friend who's a financial advisor, who's a uh, child-free by choice and single. And, you know, I talked to her a lot about like every money book, every personal finance book is about like how to leave money to your heirs, how to save for college. It's like, well, what if I want to die at exactly zero balance? How do I plan for that? <laughs> Yeah, the lack of role models, I think, is a really big thing. And it's it is compounded by this like, you know, this this feeling that I, I mean, I feel like I got this. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like this feeling that like singleness is a is like a temporary state. Our childness says it's a temporary state. And then, you know, that 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 that's like sort of the incomplete state. And then rather than like, no, this is actually the, this is this is the state. Or that it's a choice, you know, in terms of like, yes, it's a choice, but the choice isn't like get married or be single the choice is in in where we're at currently I feel compromise a lot of who I've fought and struggled and spent money on and time on becoming and you know pack away the parts of myself that I love and cherish in order to be in a relationship I'm not willing to do that absolutely not do you feel like that's changed as time goes by? Do you feel more settled in in or that people around you have accepted that as being a decision more? Or do you feel like you're still kind of pushing back on that now? No, no, absolutely. In my late 30s, people stop bothering me about kids because you know you're getting to the end of your fertility. <laughs> and so people realize, like, oh, she's serious about what she's been saying for the last 15 years. From my perspective, it seems like you're very comfortable with this identity or this decision and um, you feel very, very like grounded in that. Um, and has that, has that always kind of been the case? Yeah. I've, I've, I say to people, to my therapist, like, I wish I could relate to everything in my life with as much confidence as, as how much I know I'm child-free and I don't want children. My issue with it is the trolling that happens even from people who love you, um about it I just wish we could have more mature thoughtful conversations around it and for it to be an open conversation mm -hmm. do you do did you feel you, you got that pressure from like like where was the most pressure friends family social media like what direction mm -hmm. or from all directions no it's not like a specific person it's just cultural you know it's just at this age you're a mother at this age you know <laughs> it's just the kind of in, you know, non-specific cultural expectation, you know, the fact that there's an absence of role models and templates and examples of what this means is an implicit pressure to do it the traditional way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it is something that is so like you are pushing back against the expectations of these um, mile markers. There's something really important actually about making that kind of stand and, and like being unapologetic about making a different kind of choice. Gosh, I was having dinner with a couple friends that I have been friends with a very long time that have kids and, and it, you know, you think you're all kind of on the same page and like something, you know, the conversation turned down some path where it ended up, you know, them pretty much saying like, yeah, I think I'm a better person because I'm a mother. Like, I have a higher calling than you. Oh my God. And, you know, they didn't phrase it exactly like that, but 
pretty much, you know, it was extremely clear. And it's weird when you think you are like good friends and peers with someone for them to realize, like surface this belief that they. Okay. This is, this is actually, yes, this is actually a thing that I've heard a lot myself too, that I think is very shockingly socially acceptable is it's shockingly socially acceptable for people to say things like, I didn't know what it was like to experience love until I gave birth to a child. I did not have a full, yeah, exactly. I didn't have a full understanding of my, of like the human experience until I had a child. And I was like, you know, and I'm on the cusp of about to give birth. And I think that's horseshit. (laughs) Honestly, I just really do. And, and again, we can't have this cultural conversation about what is love is love you know, how much stronger is love that you have to choose than what is, you know, your sort of biological imperative to protect something you gave birth to? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. What more or or isn't your- there an argument to be made that the the love that you opt for is actually in some yeah, ways a, so a more powerful choice because you can, you choose yeah. to do that and you don't have to. And it's good to say these things out loud instead of just having them in my head. Cause when they're just in my head, I get angry. Yeah. And when I say them out loud, I see that it's not like my fault or that friend's fault. It's the culture. It's the, it's patriarchy. Yeah. I mean, well, I think, I think that's a double-edged sword too, that, that single women, child, child-free women have to really uh, contend with also that the, the other side of the coin is if we value motherhood as like the pinnacle of, of female achievement, then if you choose, so, so that, that devalues a lot that moms do because the, what the, the parenting aspect is seen as being sort of their, their pinnacle achievement. But the other side of that is, is, is for child-free women that, um, you know, their achievements are not valued in the same way that it is definitely a double-edged sword that like moms have that, have to deal with that, but like equally child-free women have to deal with that too. I have two friends who are mothers who, recognize that it's not the pinnacle you know very actively have told me they recognize it's not the pinnacle of of womanhood and they've had other achievements that they think are more significant or just as and um those happen to be the friends who are you know put more effort into our friendship too because they don't expect the rest of the world to stop for Mm. um, their motherhood and i the hardest thing personally for me not being a mother is all the friendships that just kind of disappear, you know, because it's just expected. Oh, I'm in this new stage of life now. See, uh, we'll be friends in 18 years. I'm like, my heart breaks every time I I get a baby shower invitation because it yeah. feels like saying goodbye to a friendship. Because as a parent, especially as a mom, you're expected to be so like all consumed by your 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 child that you can't um, participate in in life and your friendships in the same way and like that's it's the part of the trap and it's definitely part of the culture and it's not that those friends are listen i expect the first two years of a child's life are going to be like all consuming for the parents <laughs> or anything but like i i just i would love a text message that just says miss you look forward to we when we can hang out and catch up again you know or something or like i i guess like uh, i'm i'm just i i feel like we've covered a lot of ground here and i i do feel like it's, it's cathartic i think because there's so many of us you know and again i know this is a socioeconomic thing as well you know like my 
group, my peers. I have a, a lot of friends across the country. I'm very fortunate, but it's also because I have a lot of time to put into keeping up with friends and it's very important to me. Um, you know, there's I have so many friends who are child-free. I have a lot of friends who are also single who are in their 40s and 50s and even 60s and 30s. And there needs to be more of a cultural shift to taking care of each other because mm. I understand that we're doing a lot alone. You know, even if we live alone, could we <laughs> have more sharing, have more meals together, have more community? I try to create that in, in certain ways, but, um, you know, I think everybody does need family and I love that you have a family of choice. And I've had several different iterations of my family of choice, but, um, you know, my family of choice in my twenties, those friends went and, and had their own nuclear families. And so it's been the work of like reestablishing a new one every several years, which can, which can wear you down. And, and, and I think the danger is you just stop putting effort out. I mean, that's, I've seen myself want to put less effort into building new friendships and really looking at whether that that those people are available um because of of having gone through a lot of those cycles of of building a close friendship and then the person um you know goes on to a different life stage without there being any <laughs> there's no conscious uncoupling, uncoupling that happens i i think that's such such an important point like you said so much there and um, you know, first of all, I, it's good to know that that you you feel like there is a peer group. Is there a community that you feel like of of people who are sort of in the same have made some of the same decisions? It's not a community how I'd like it to be, you know, like a group of friends that gets together every week. We're spread out around the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm very, again, fortunate to have a lot of friends um, who would sort of fit into this description. But you know, people live in different places, people have different types of careers and, and all that. And um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a really important point, though, uh, about about alternative forms of family and alternative forms of community, because that's something that that we lose so much in centering the new the closed circuit nuclear family is the ability for for, uh, for people to have community in different ways. And I think even people who are in nuclear families, I think would really benefit from, <laughs> from having um, closer, more intimate relationships like outside of their marriage. I mean, I think, I think that's true of virtually all, all the couples I know. Um, and, you know, it, it, they're expected to do everything for each other and, and it's a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've been that that's sort of a, one of the major questions of my life too, is like, how do we, how do you build that sort of chosen family in a way that's lasting. And, you know, what you've, what you've spoken to a little bit is um, that people are, are only willing to commit so far. And I wonder about how we can, I mean, I don't have an answer, but I just wonder a lot about how we can um, make better definitions of, of those, that types of intimacy and those types of relationships. Yeah. I think it's less individualism in general. You know, I have, it's cool. I realized that on my block where I, I bought my first house last year, none of the houses. Congrats. Happened. <laughs> so it was a huge moment, right? Yeah, As yeah. a single woman. Oh my Hell God. Yeah. <laughs> Self-employed. Are you kidding? But even when I go to like 
buy a tool at Home Depot. I'm like, this is ridiculous. My next door neighbors have this tool. Why do we need our own everything? You know, like I had this hope during the pandemic that we would get into more like communal situations because like, if you didn't have a pod, oh my goodness. The other question is as Americans, can we have that? Yeah. Because are we too individualistic to think about the, the socialism of sharing a shovel with my next door neighbor because we're not using a shovel every single day? Here's the thing, like I have... I have friend groups where there will be a mix of moms and, and child-free women. And I have friend groups that will have a mix of single women and partnered women. And we have different needs for that community. Or like with your married friends, like I want friends I can travel with, but they're going to travel with their partner. So, um, you know, it can be, and then of course, there's always the chance when, when your friends are single that they'll get partnered. And so um, it does feel very un uncommitted in terms of like things can change at any moment. So we default to the idea that once you, if you do find a part, like you have, you have single friend group, as soon as those people find partners that then those romantic relationships then by definition become prioritized. And, um, and I think, you know, for, for like Andrew and my relationship, that is very much not like the case that like we've, verbalize that, you know, just because a romantic relationship comes in doesn't mean that that's going to, that relationship is then going to be prioritized. And I think that's like something, that's some work that like we need to do on the cultural level to your point, all of this is like, you know, it, personal choices are personal choices, but then like the cultural expectation is the cultural expectation. <laughs> well, and, and then there's, you know, there's just ethical conversations I want to have, but it's also taboo that you know, if you believe in climate change, what does it mean to bring a child into the world? Mm -hmm. But we just, we can't even ask people these questions in our culture. It's so taboo and it, it drives me crazy. I feel like there is a lot of like existential dread lately about um, just like the state of the world and, and, you know, not just like, not just climate change, but just like, oh my God, like, bringing children into this dumpster group. fire. <laughs> yeah, I think that's our age group. I think that's our demographic. I think that's our educational. Yeah, I don't I don't see that hand wringing happening maybe in other communities. That's fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> <laughs> um do you feel do you feel like so the community building aspect I just just returning to that like um do you see a, do you see a path to to like building that community with your neighbors or um, or through like some of your volunteer work? Is that, is there like a through line there and some of the, the, you know, boards that you're involved in or anything like that? Or, you know, what, what do you, what do you see as the route to, to building that for yourself? I'm not feeling very optimistic about it right now, honestly. Okay. I have been the social group leader, organizer, trip planner in, in most situations for most of my friend groups since junior high yeah. and I'm tired girl, girl, yeah. I'm tired. <laughs> I don't want to be the organizer anymore. Yeah. And when you put that effort out and you know, that friend you're trying to keep in touch with during her child rearing years, doesn't put that effort out, doesn't come visit you, you know, and I get that she can't, but like, you know, I'm really in life in general right now, re-examining where I put my energy mm -hmm. and, you know, those other, it's hard to form a group. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where to go from there. Yeah, no, no, that's, <laughs> that's a totally fair you know, answer. It's yeah. been a, I just, yeah, you still need another 
thing that ties you together, I think. And I think because our generation or our demographic is not church going, we really miss that. Um, that's what at the function, the community function that church used to to create. And so I think when you're part of an affinity group, like maybe it's a gay bar that they go to. Um, but I think those are like sort of the big questions that it's hard to put, you know, hard to like have a a neat, you know, wrap that up in a neat bow. But like those are sort of the, you know, it's it, it feels good to talk to you about it because I feel like it, it, you know, it's good to know that other people are sort of grappling with these these similar questions. Well, thank you so much for for talking to me about this and being willing to be on the record. It's so it was it's really it's really wonderful to to kind of you know as you said to talk about some of the taboo things that like we're not allowed to. We'll see say if about. I get told. It's the one thing that I like don't mind getting trolled about because it's to me so like absurd. I wish I was this confident with all the other choices I had in my life. <laughs> you know, where it's like if someone trolls me, I'll be like, okay, sure, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sierra Pressler provides strategic planning and leadership development to a wide variety of mission-driven organizations through her company, Pregame. You can find out all about her work, talent, and ventures at ciarapressler.com. We are at vjandstevens.com or at vjandstevens on Instagram. In our next episode, Andrew sits down with our friend J.R. Andre, a soon-to-be dad in a different family setup. They talk gay fatherhood, where family building sits within the community, and the ways that their experiences have been similar and also very different. See you next time.